situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. Who used heart attack? Me. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Get it down to that. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. What's going on, everybody? Just thinking of what it is that we could bring up on a, a random Wednesday in the early part of February. Thinking about how great it would be if we lived in a fantasy world and we were talking about the beginning of spring training. Pitchers and catchers supposed to report in X amount of days. I don't want to say how many days it was supposed to be because all it's going to do is make me mad. Um, obviously... You think of the Super Bowl as it comes up, and obviously we're going to spend a little time touching about that, talking about the Rams and the Bengals and their histories, and you know, maybe something that you haven't thought of in regards to perspective, uh, tentacles, legs, things to think about when it comes to the Super Bowl. And obviously, you know, week two of the Super Bowl preview, you're going to know that just about every angle is going to be exhausted. If I could come up with something or try to come up with something that nobody else has come up with, odds are somebody has probably already come up with it. And then you got the NBA trading deadline, which I think is interesting enough in regards to what I want to start out by talking about today. And obviously, if you're listening, watching live, and you want to throw any sort of insight about anything, please do. Um, you know, I am the master of the audible. I could talk about horse racing, and then all of a sudden switch to tennis, if that happens to be on one of my viewers' minds. Um, we also got the new show on ColorCast, which is supposed to be a little more interactive, Mondays 8 to 8.30. So you look at, obviously, buyers and sellers as they exist in the NBA, because we could do that with all sports. When a respective trading deadline comes up, it's usually a benchmark for a team to analyze whether they think they're in it, whether they think this year is a worthy opportunity or shot or opportunity to make a run for a championship. And how does that impact teams in the NBA? You know, you've heard me over the last couple shows spend a little time talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think that they've slowly built a good young core. Don't really have that without a doubt star. And I think because of that, you're not going to be in a position to win an NBA championship. It's going to be hard to win without a bona fide number one, right? You know, the old uh, LeBron and uh, Dwayne Wade and Kobe and Shaq kind of reminded us that you really need two stars, maybe three, you know, and, and certainly good role players to be able to win a championship in the NBA. And, you know, I, I respect the Indiana Pacers because I think they've done a good job in trying to build the core, a core, a group of, you know, a group of players that really looked like they were going to help, and then they made the decision to move on from Sabonis, move on from Karis LeVert. And I think uh, the, the, this is very important for this reason because, you know, we, we tend to live in a fantasy world sometimes where we believe that our teams are just going to naturally progress to the next level. And what I'm leading into is some self and soul-searching that the Los Angeles Lakers have done and trying to identify how good of a team they are. Now, you can talk about how LeBron James is the general manager 
and he's basically dictating what players are coming in, going out. Um, I'm sure he had some input in Russell Westbrook. He probably had some input in uh, Carmelo Anthony. You know, good, solid players. Championship caliber players, I don't know. Because, you know, Carmelo and Russell Westbrook have never won a championship before, but certainly Hall of Fame type of players that are expected to make any team that they're part of better. Well, what have the Lakers learned this year? They've learned that Russell Westbrook, as unique of a talent as he is, as much of a first ballot Hall of Famer as he's going to be, and the fact that there's no doubt he really is every bit as good as his basketball reference page and back of his basketball card will say. No team's won a championship with Russell Westbrook. Combined him with the likes of James Harden and Kevin Durant. And Harden again with the Rockets. No championship. And a Lakers team that seemed like it was championship or bust this year, in spite of winning a championship two years ago, he hasn't moved the needle. In fact, he's done the exact opposite. The Lakers are kind of held back. You look at three of the last four games where the Lakers have not gone to Russell Westbrook in late in clutch. And you have a player like that, a superstar player, a player that is going to make the amount of money that Russell Westbrook makes over the course of an NBA season. And he's played himself out of the rotation when the game's on the line. Easy answer. Hey, find some taker, trade Russell Westbrook. Okay. Easier said than done, though. And you could talk about how there may be a select couple matches. If you're looking to move him to a different team, maybe take a, a I'm not going to say bad contract, but a, a big contract. You know, you flip him with Houston for John Wall. You know, he's been there before. The question's going to be, and it's going to be a major battle, because Russell Westbrook's going to want to be on the court. Houston Rockets don't seem to want to play good players this year, which, by the way, and you've heard my shows before, if you're a fan or not a fan or the show gets thrown in your face, how are the Rockets able to select which players they can play and what players they don't play? You can't, you shouldn't be able to healthy scratch a star just because you want to lose more games. But in the NBA, it's okay. So I could see the Rockets and, and the Lakers maybe saying, hey, we'll flip Wall for Westbrook. Wall be happy to play for anybody, you know, let alone the Lakers. The team's got a chance to win a championship if everything's kind of working in cohesion. Not right now. And, and I don't mean not right now as in regards to a trade, but not right now the roster that the Lakers have. I mean, if you, you know, LeBron James is saying straight up, hey, they're not on the level of Milwaukee. They're not on the level of a championship caliber basketball team. Okay, I get it. It's the truth. Does John Wall make him that much better? Do you trust John Wall late in clutch in a game as far as trusting him to be on the court? Maybe making a big shot, a big pass, a big decision that's going to win or lose you a game. You obviously don't have that confidence in Russell Westbrook. And maybe the best thing would be, if all things were equal, to move on from him. Now, listen, it's going to take some creativity. Like I said, the dream scenario of just flipping him and Wall's contracts, which you know are close enough that they could go for an even swap, is going to be the ramifications for what Russell Westbrook's going to think of it. He's certainly not going to want to go to Houston and sit. He's a basketball player. I trust that he's going to want to be on the basketball court and is going to fight any um, 
narrative or, or um, order that's coming from the top to not play because he's a good player and you don't want to risk winning too many games. A dream scenario will be the Lakers moving on from Russell Westbrook. And as the trading deadline gets closer and we're getting set for Thursday, I doubt that's going to happen. I'd be completely shocked if Westbrook was moved. But if you think about the Lakers, you know they're not going to sit back and say, hey, let's just play this out. Let's play this out. Let's fire our coach and let's uh, re, I don't know, recoup whatever we want for next season. Maybe Kendrick Nunn makes a little bit of a presence later on and you're a little bit of a better basketball team. Go back to the drawing board after this offseason and build something differently. They're going to want to fix it now. And the problem is the Lakers don't have too many trade chips. Maybe Kendrick Nunn is of interest to another team. He hasn't played all season. Odds are he's going to be back. You know, if it's a team not competing right now, they say, hey, this could be a player we could build around for the future. And the Lakers say, well, you know, Kendrick Nunn isn't helping us out right now because he's not on a court. He hasn't played all season. So does that work? Is that enough of an asset for the Lakers? The key is going to be centered around moving Westbrook. And if they can do that, then all of a sudden you look at the Lakers a little bit differently amongst the top teams in the Western Conference. Right now, I mean, they don't even look like a playoff team. And that's a shame. A team with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and who cares who the other stars are there? Let alone Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony are still on that team. And Dwight Howard, who's a Hall of Famer, probably a Hall of Famer on that team. The fact that the Lakers are not a playoff team with that mix really makes the Lakers look bad. The easy scapegoat, yeah, sure. You want to go out there and you fire the coach. Blame Frank Vogel. And anybody that just likes to pile on the coaches can go say, hey, Frank Vogel hasn't done enough with this roster. But this roster is not a championship caliber roster. And it's just one fact that hopefully the Lakers look at themselves in the mirror and identify. And I don't know. You got a, a, a day, 24 hours or so. The other crazy element of what could be an active trading deadline. And like I said, I like what the Pacers did. They made a stance. They said, hey, we want to shake up our roster. We want to build it in a different direction. We want to make it a little more about next year than it is this year. And they moved a, a couple important players and gave themselves a little bit of a different look. The Nets and the Sixers. And I'll say this. Number one, the thing that would shock me the most if there was a trade in the NBA, if the Lakers somehow got out from having Russell Westbrook on their roster, I'd be shocked, number one. Almost as much being shocked would be if James Harden was traded for Ben Simmons. Now, the media is running with this because this is a hot story. All you've heard all season is the fact that Ben Simmons doesn't want to play for the 76ers. You've heard that Daryl Morey, the general manager, has had a high asking price in regards to try to trade Ben Simmons. And there hasn't been any takers. Nobody has gone out there to meet that high price. And then you add the other variable and the speculation over whether James Harden's happy playing for the Brooklyn Nets. He apparently is not so enamored with Kyrie Irving in a vaccine situation and him playing part-time for now. He doesn't necessarily like New York. Okay. 
All those things can be true, but they don't necessarily equal a trait. And I think it's more of a fantasy deal than anything. And I think a lot of the NBA insiders, they're going to do what they can to try to you know, pull some legs out of this thing. I think there's going to be more speculation uh, than there is possibility when it comes to this deal. And I'm here. Listen, everything I say is recorded and can be played back and used against me. I don't think the Nets and the Sixers are going to swing this deal. Is there a chance that Ben Simmons gets moved? Yes. And I, I made a case on the last show that I did talking about how Ben Simmons could probably better benefit a team that's done for the season, doesn't expect itself to get to the playoffs. A Houston, a Detroit, obviously a lot of other teams that are making that decision now. Indiana is more of a seller. Orlando. You, know, you want to have a good young player that's going to be part of your team for a while, build a nice foundation through a solid draft pick next year, a high draft pick, and some other players that you want to move on from, maybe get a couple salaries off your squad and take on Ben Simmons' contract. That's the best deal for Ben Simmons. And it's not, this isn't John Pielli saying, hey, screw Ben Simmons because I don't like him. I haven't been really uh, excited about the way he's conducted himself. And certainly uh, his decision to take the basketball go up to the basket hoop and not take a layup and kick it out, uh, you know, from there it's been downhill. He wants to blame everybody else but himself for that. He hates Philadelphia. Why? Because he checks his social media feeds and fans are not going to be happy about that and they're capable of saying bad things. Listen, I, I don't have anywhere near as many bad things as said about me as professional athletes, but I do. And uh, I can tell you this, I handle it a lot better than Ben Simmons does. And for him to hold that grudge and not want to play for the Philadelphia 76ers, what did they do to him? Obviously, if you're a fan of this team, you probably can't wait for Ben Simmons to leave. Joel Embiid, top star, the, the player, the number one on that squad, doesn't want Ben Simmons around. He certainly doesn't want the Ben Simmons distraction. And maybe the Sixers are able to move on from this. And, and, I, and I say this because, you know, there is that distraction element that really certainly is going to be part of the Sixers roster. Because if you're going to move Ben Simmons, is it necessarily going to be a one-for-one -one deal and just one player leaving? And then hopefully you get a useful basketball player like Daryl Morey, the general manager, wishes would happen. No, I don't see that necessarily. You know, you, you know it, it sounds good. But obviously, there's going to be more pieces involved. So there's good players on that, that team. You know, you know Maxi Harris. You know, players that could end up being dealt in a Simmons trade. So they're kind of on edge a little bit. Certainly, fringe players that are getting, you know, some valuable minutes, but not a ton of minutes. You know, are hoping this could be over so they could focus on a stretch run. And then there's the other element of all right. Well, Ben Simmons is just going to. Be on a roster and not play for the Sixers. Maybe let this trading deadline go by and at least you know, they know they're going to go to battle with the players that they have. But Harden for Simmons, I don't think it's going to happen. It's more of a fantasy deal than anything. And, and if you're in the Nets, do you really want Ben Simmons? And I know I spoke about this on the last program, but do you, do you want a player that's already told an organization in an entire city that he doesn't want to play for him? 
And, you know, not a, not a matter of not getting playing time, not a matter of the team not going in the right direction in regards to trying to win, but just straight up, hey, I don't want to play. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's an element that I know is centered around the generation of young men and women that we have right now. But it shouldn't be acceptable. And certainly, I don't want to trade for a player if I'm in a, a, a pennant race as we look at basketball and teams that are trying to refine and retool their rosters as they're getting ready for a serious run in the NBA playoffs. It's not the player I want on my team. So, Super Bowl 56. From a rating standpoint, might not do that great. But we've, we've also realized that the Super Bowl is not centered around that die-hard football fan. The NBA Finals is. The World Series is. The Stanley Cup Finals are. And they all differentiate between the Super Bowl because everybody watches the Super Bowl. And you want to say, hey, everybody 100%. No, John, you're not talking about 100%. But everybody watches the Super Bowl. Everybody understands it. Listen, some people work you know, overnight shifts and are getting sleep and you know, are saying, hell with the Super Bowl. Everybody watches the Super Bowl. You don't have to be a Super Bowl fan to watch the Super Bowl. So this thought that that Los Angeles and Cincinnati, outside of their markets, it's not going to be a national game. There's not going to be a lot of interest. There might not be a lot of interest, but there's going to be ratings. People are watching the Super Bowl. Like I said, non-football fans watch the Super Bowl. Casual football fans watch the Super Bowl. Casual sports fans watch the Super Bowl. So this thought that ratings are going to be an issue, I, I certainly don't agree with that. And then on to the teams. Sean McVay, is this a, a situation where he gets to the Super Bowl for the second time, he finally becomes a Super Bowl champion? I think there's something on the line in regards to not just McVay, but what he represents in regards to that hot shot offensive coordinator that could rise to the top and win a Super Bowl. Because you've seen it. It's, it's happened before. But you look at the Super Bowl champions over the last three years. Bruce Arians, long-time NFL coach. Not always, always as a head coach, but he's not a young, certainly not a young hotshot coordinator. Andy Reid winning the Super Bowl the year before. Bill Belichick getting to the last three Super Bowls before that, winning two of them. Right? You know, Gary Kubiak. With the Denver Broncos, Belichick before that, Pete Carroll. You know, we're we're scrolling backwards as we're we're starting to, you know, identify Super Bowl champions. Really, Doug Peterson is the representation of this type of generation of pro football head coaches, and the the issue I have is, hey, you got a league full of them. It's the new thing. Teams want to do this. They want to bring in that next hotshot offensive coordinator because they think it's going to equal a Super Bowl. Doug Peterson is now going to be five Super Bowls ago after this Sunday. The one offensive coordinator, and he had Frank Reich with him. So you could talk about two offensive-minded gurus that end up winning a Super Bowl with Nick Foles as their quarterback. You're going to have a, one of these 
offensive coordinators win themselves a Super Bowl. Zach Taylor, you know, where, where, where he was pried from. And you think of the fact that, yes, it's going to be a victory for the, the offensive coordinator. And I think about this too because it's, it's very interesting. Because you think of, hey, you grab a, an offensive coordinator in their late 30s, early 40s, and uh, you, you give them a quarterback, certainly. You know, Joe Burrow to be combined with Zach Taylor could be combined with John Pielli. You know, the 42-year-old John Pielli could probably get a lot out of Joe Burrow as well because Joe Burrow is that freaking talented. How much of it is the quarterback and how much of it is the head coach? Because I would have expected... If we're going to go to the last three years, I would have expected that there would have been one of these top offensive minds, which teams seem to continue to be going to as the answer to their next head football coach. Hey, let me get you know somebody that knows an offense, somebody that worked with, I don't know, you know, maybe with the Rams recently, but you say, hey, with San Francisco, with um, maybe New England. Obviously, Josh McDaniels has grown a, a little bit more. But, I mean, you got Zach Taylor essentially going up against his his last coach. He got a job as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals because he was an offense, top offensive assistant under Sean McVay with the Rams. Now, did they have the same ideas? Maybe. And like I said, this Super Bowl is going to be tough because it's pinning two of these coaches against each other. And if my narrative is, is I don't know if this is necessarily working, well, you know, the Super Bowl is not going to end in a tie. So we're going to talk about either Sean McVay winning a Super Bowl in his second try with the Rams or Zach Taylor beating his uh, his boss, his protege, or the, the you know his, his mentor with the Rams. And, you know, like I said, I don't want to sit here and talk about shit that's being talked about on Radio Row and recycled through the news cycle when it comes to uh, radio and television. You know, I'll save the Zach Taylor, Sean McVay conversations for somebody else. But I don't believe that that offensive-minded, hot coordinator is working in the NFL. Now... Once again, the teams are being so saturated with it, you're going to have a Super Bowl champion by default this year that hired one of them, right? You know, that hired, uh, you know, off of, uh, you know, somebody's staff. And listen, I like what both of these coaches have done, but certainly you have a lot of power when you have a big quarterback. I think the Rams are going to come into this game a lot more confident because I think they looked at themselves last year and said, you know, maybe they're a quarterback away. And, you know, as I, I misquoted Bum Phillips when it was really Bud Adams on Twitter, he was famous for making a con the, the comment about Dan Pastorini. The Houston Oilers of the late 70s are quarterback away from being a Super Bowl championship team. And he went out there and he uh, allowed Bum Phillips, who he wanted to fire, to make a trade for Ken Stabler. And after that didn't work after one year, he fired Bum Phillips. And guess what? 
even with the great Earl Campbell, even with Stabler around there for another season, the Oilers went downhill. Sometimes you misvalue how important your head coach is. And Sean McVay has been in Los Angeles with the Rams for a couple years now. This is his second Super Bowl appearance. He certainly deserves the credit for what that team's done there, but yeah, they certainly have some good players. And they're going to be the favorite because they have a superior quarterback to what they had. They traded Jared Goff, who up to this point has been a disappointment. Number one overall pick, Carson Wentz went number two. At the time, you're looking at two potential franchise-changing quarterbacks that up to this point haven't really done it. Jared Goff got to a Super Bowl, but he didn't lead the Rams to a Super Bowl. And for a team that scored so much over the course of the season, they were shut down by a New England defense that was good, but wasn't the 85 Bears. It wasn't the Steelers of the late 70s. It wasn't the Ravens of 2001, right? So you look at the coaching tree, which you know exists, with Jay Gruden being the, the, the head coach. And Sean McVay is on that staff. But also, Kyle Shanahan's on that staff. And how these coaches ended up becoming marquee names. Okay. You know, up to a certain point they were. But at some point, the expectation is going to be for them to win championships. And make it a year-in and year-out thing where where coordinators, top offensive coordinators, are going to go out there and lead their team to a Super Bowl. But once again, connection to the quarterback and the coach. It's Sean McVay and Matt Stafford against Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow. And as much credit as McVay has gotten, if the Rams don't win this Super Bowl and don't get back, then I think it's a knock against this whole top offensive assistant bring to your team and expect to turn your franchise around. Like I said, everybody's doing it. And I don't believe in it. I don't think it's necessarily the way to go. But you're also seeing very few teams go to retreads. You know, everybody's bringing in a, a, a new coordinator. A couple teams have gone defenses over the last couple years. You know, Lovey Smith coming back into the sport, which I think is a whole topic on itself. You've heard me talk about Brian Flores and how proud I am of Brian Flores to stand up to the bullshit and the racism that he has been up against and kind of making a Kurt Flood type of decision. Maybe not on the level of Kurt Flood, because Kurt Flood definitely sacrificed the rest of his career. Colin Kaepernick sacrificed the rest of his career for standing up for what he believed in. Is Brian Flores willing to do that? Well, he didn't look so good when he has his attorney pull out a statement you know, saying, hey, it's good that Lovey Smith got the job, but it's also bullshit that I didn't get the job. doesn't really look good for him. And, you know, you ask me, hey, John, where should the league go with it? You heard, you heard me on the last show. Actually, very few people heard me on the last show. But <laughs> the 
the best way to do it is the the NFL. You want more black head coaches? Make it mandatory. Say you know what you the whether it's racism or just ignorance or neglect, malpractice, whatever you want to call it. If you can't get it right on your own, we're going to get it right for you. Next five years, the only viable head coach candidates in the NFL have to be black. And as as not cool as that sounds, you know, white, you know, John Q, white guy is pissed off because, you know, God forbid, you say something that takes away their right, their white superiority, and you know everything that you stand for. It's the only way you're going to correct it. Yeah, you know, I heard Bart Scott make a good point. Hey, maybe you know you need a black head coach to say, listen, I'm only going to hire black coaches on my staff. The coaching staffs in the NFL are as large as they've ever been. You know, to heck with diversity. You know, you you want to succeed and win. Well, make 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 them all the same. And you know, the NFL has gotten a little better. Mike McDaniel getting a job with Miami, who I think they were kind of forced into it. Now, you know, Stephen Ross or Chris Greer, or they were, did they really have the ability to hire a white head coach after they fired Brian Flores? And Brian Flores is basically suing them for racism. Well, yeah, I think they, they, they made the, the right decision in regards to PR. I don't know if Mike McDaniel is going to be a, a, a good head coach. Listen, he's done a good job. He's a top assistant. He's young enough. He fits this mold of the young offensive coordinator that you know seems to be permeating the league throughout where almost everybody's hiring one. But then you think about Lovey Smith. And, and I'm a big Lovey Smith fan. I think Lovey Smith... Got a raw deal when it came to the the Bears. Ten win season loses his job. That shouldn't have happened. Takes over a Tampa Bay team that, yeah, I, I can't imagine too many other coaches going there and doing well. But obviously, the two losing seasons didn't bode well in his future and getting a job over the course of time. But Lovey Smith over Brian Flores. You could say that Brian Flores was probably right if he believes that he didn't get the Texans job because of the lawsuit. Did they go to Lovey Smith as a safe pick to say, you know what, I don't want to choose a white candidate over Brian Flores because that's only going to make this worse. Josh McCown seemed to be the coach that was on their radar, the coach that they really wanted to hire. And you go out there and you, you have a guy in Lovey Smith who's Got some familiarity with the organization. He was in D.C. last year. It's an easy transition. You're not bringing somebody from left field. Uh, once again, a safe selection. Miami, Mike McDaniel, darker color skin, safe decision. Lovey Smith from within the Texans organization, darker color skin, safe selection. So when... Brian Flores is saying, hey, we need more black head coaches. Well, now you have the same amount of black head coaches as you had last year, three out of 32, which I don't believe is still enough. I still think it's silly that we could have this discussion about nine teams in a National Football League, a league that has over 70% of minority players, almost all of them black and African-American. And, you know, the league to have so few black head coaches, I think, Points to the lack of trust. Points to ownership. 
not really wanting to dip their toes in that water. Some of the longer term generation, uh, you know, own teams kind of feel that same way. And like I said, the only way to fix it is by mandating it. Hey, next five years, you have a head coach opening. It's the only person you can hire. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey. By two ways, one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you for, uh, Saturday, Saturday morning here with another edition of the PBS. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest major league baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.